0: Let's pray again. Father, thank you for tonight' chance to once again be in your word. We ask your blessing upon it. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you give me uh, at least the vocal cords, uh, enough energy to uh, get through tonight and share what is on my heart. Honor your name through it and uh, bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles then tonight and open them to our study of the book of Ephesians. We are uh, returning to our study of this great epistle, and we have uh, seen over the past several months that the theme is the church. The theme of Ephesians is the church, not the building that is called a church, of course, but rather the true church, that which is comprised of all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a universal sense, it is all believers throughout the entire world, but who are known really through the manifestation seen in what we have here, a local gathering of believers, which is known as the body of Christ. So, we're returning tonight to our study that we find here in Ephesians, and particularly chapter 3. And I want us to focus our attention back upon verses 1 to 13. 1 to 13. I said to us last time, and we understand this already as we saw last Lord's Day in particular, that these verses 1 to 13 are really a diversion of the Apostle Paul from what he is about to say and wants to say to these believers in Ephesus. It's not a diversion per se in content of course, but a diversion of thought simply because the Apostle Paul is so personally captured by the reality of the earthly uh, creation that God has done calling it the church is this entity called the church. He's He's so taken back by that in his own heart and mind that he has to take a detour really from what he has been talking about just to say what he needs to and share with them what God has done with him for the church. And Really this needs to be on our minds as we begin our time tonight. This whole reality of what God does and what God has done and is doing with His body called the church with each and every one of us. And last time we were together we began to look at this and are continuing to do so, at least here tonight. And I want to draw our attention back again to just the first few verses of this section 1-13. to 13. And I want us to to take it together because it's just one sentence it's one sentence in the original language and really one sentence as it's written here for us it's one sentence that really begins this entire diversion of the apostle paul and paul's ultimate intent in it is to encourage to encourage us as believers to encourage those in ephesus this fledgling church that he has planted to not be not be downtrodden not to be sullen in their own hearts about the fact that he is in prison, as he says in verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, because they are for your glory. In other words, he wants them to understand and to see his situation, as he states it in verse 13, but he also wants them to rejoice in it. He wants them to be grateful to God for it, and in doing so, he wants them to think about how God is using them in the church, their place in the church, their usefulness in the church of God. He is finding joy himself in it, and he wants them to do that also. And that really just kind of tells us something as to our relationship with the reality called the church. Sometimes we don't think of the church in these terms, and we need to think of them in these church terms. Because what we are and what we do and the outcome of it in the church has an effect on the church. And this is what we really see happening with the Apostle Paul. I don't think we think much about that individually as church people. Oftentimes we think about the church. We don't think about who we are and what we do in the church and the outcome it has or ought to have upon the church. Do we think soberly about the fact that what we are and what we do has an impact either positively or negatively upon the body? Sometimes we think we're we're really not all that important. We, we think we're just, just somebody who, who is part of, a, part of this thing called the church. We're part of this group of people, but really our impact doesn't affect it much. And the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that in the economy of God, in his body called the church, it has a massive impact. And so let's begin our time by looking at verse 2 tonight. I'll begin in verse 1 just to kind of give us that contextual reading, but he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. For you. We don't need to go much farther than that, at least at the beginning, because that is really where this entire sentence begins if you have heard of the stewardship, some of your translations may say dispensation, If you've heard of the dispensation, the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, and then he says in verse 3 that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote to you before. Paul just simply says this, I want you to know that this whole reality that that I'm telling you about, and I'm talking to you about, and I've been talking about since chapter 1, verse 1, this whole reality isn't my own idea. This is God's doing. That's what he's saying. This is a God thing. Sometimes we throw that language around cheaply, and yet Paul is using it here in the highest of fashions. You need to understand this is God's doing you notice in verse 2 these words that say, if indeed you have heard. If indeed you have heard. It almost comes across as if Paul is, is wondering if if they have heard of, of the reality of that he's received this by God. It's a statement that is actually saying, you have heard. It's not a question. It's a statement that's saying, you have. This is what's called in the original language, a first-class condition, a first-class condition. That simply means that the intent of these words is to say, I'm positive, I have no doubt in my mind that you've already heard of the stewardship of the grace of God given to me, that by the revelation of God the mystery was made known. That's what he's really saying here. I'm positive that you have heard of what is going on. In other words, you already know that I'm doing what I'm doing because God called me to do it. I'm exercising this very privilege that God has given to me, and I know you already know that, but I want to remind you of it. I want to remind you of it again. In other words, what I am doing is a stewardship responsibility of the grace of God, and in you hearing that again from me, it will cause you, at least in my hope and estimation, for you to think in the same way about yourself. Now I dare say to us that any of us look at ourselves in relation to the church in those terms. That what we do in the church, that what God gives us by way of responsibility in and ourselves as Christians in the body of Christ is by way of God's gift of grace to us, and it is a stewardship responsibility. I don't think we think of it like that. You think of your place in the church that way? Who you are in the church, your use in the church. The way God has gifted you, your needfulness and neededness, if you will, in the church as a personal stewardship responsibility of the grace of God given to you. If you do not think that way, you ought to think that way, even if your service to the body lands you or could land you in some kind of, as Paul says, I'm in prison a Roman prison. You notice what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying to this church, which he has planted in Ephesus, hey listen church, don't be downtrodden in your hearts about my circumstances. Don't be downtrodden in the reality that I'm actually in prison because I preach the gospel. This is just the reality of my stewardship responsibility. This is just my stewardship. This is just what God has called me to. I'm just passing it on to you. I'm just doing what God has called me to do, what the what he has given me a stewardship over, this responsibility of God's grace, and I'm giving it to you. In fact, I'm in it for you. I'm just the steward. I'm just the steward. It's important for us to hear that. Particularly, As believers in the church, whether we think of it this way or not, the reality is that we are all in ministry. Sometimes as people aren't vocational pastors or in some vocational kind of ministry, we don't think of ourselves as being in the ministry. And yet that's exactly what we are. We are in the ministry and anybody in ministry is there by the grace of God. That is simply to say that God didn't look around to see who had the best qualification. I didn't look around and go, okay, yeah, yeah, so-and-so's got the qualifications, so I'll bring them to that. No, remember who's talking to us here. Remember who the Holy Spirit has inspired to put these words on the paper so that we, 2,000 years later or so, have them to read. This is Saul of Tarsus. This is the one who was the quintessential persecutor of Christians. Paul says here, look, what I do, I do because of the grace of God. Paul says, I'm sure you've heard of this special stewardship of God's grace. I'm sure you've heard of it that was given to me, notice, for you. You've heard what I'm doing that it's God's grace and it's for you. This is why God made the church like he has, beloved. This is why God has designed his body the way he has. We don't do what we do. Our involvement isn't for us. You don't come to the body. You don't fellowship with other Christians. I hope this isn't where the way your mind is, that you come to fellowship with other Christians because it's about you. It's about what you might get. It's about what someone might fill your love bucket with, whatever it is. No, we do it for others. Paul says, this is given to me for you. You notice he doesn't say, you were given to me for me. That God gave me this grace to share the gospel and I got the privilege to share it with you because I get so much from you. That's that what he's saying. Paul says, no, no. He says, I have a stewardship responsibility that was given to me by God's grace and it was for you. Or as he says in chapter 4, it's for the building up of the body. For the building up of the body. By the way, the original word translated stewardship, like I told you, is that other word that I said when I was reading it, the word dispensation. Dispensation. But I think the translators have done a pretty good job who have translated it as stewardship because really that's what the word means. We don't think of steward in many ways in our day and age, but a steward is just somebody who manages something for someone else. They're a steward of it. They care for it. A steward in the house manages the details of the home for the owner. That's what they are. They're a steward of the home. That just simply tells us that the steward isn't the owner. The steward is the caretaker. They're the manager. They're the one responsible for the things of the owner while the owner is away. So whatever needs to be done in order to keep the home the way the owner desires it, the way the owner wants it, the way the owner has designed it, in order for the home to be profitable for the owner, in order for the home to do exactly what the owner hopes for, in order for the home to be ready for the owner when the owner returns. So the steward manages the details. Manage everything to ensure that it's ready. Now, certainly you're a thinking people, and you're connecting the dots. You're thinking about the implications of that in light of your own life. This is the church. This is the church, and God graciously gives. He, Of course, Paul here says he is given to him, but he also gives to each and every believer. Each one of us has been given the grace of God. We've been brought into the body of Christ through the grace of God as he has granted to us faith to believe. And we are brought into his family and we have been given each and every believer the right to manage the measure of God's grace given to us. We have a responsibility to the owner. Now there are some in the church who do what they do as if it was for them. Sadly, the church has individuals in it who serve themselves. In fact, they believe they've earned it. They raise themselves. They're self-made people in the church. They raise themselves to the place where they are. Their usefulness is because they have done something in their own lives. But what Paul is saying here in these words is don't ever have that in your heart. Don't ever have that in your heart. This is not how you are to think. Don't think that way, Paul says, about me. This isn't something I did. Don't praise me. Don't applaud me. Don't put me up on some kind of pedestal. Just pray that I am faithful in my stewardship. Why? Because that is what it is. The stewardship of what God has given. God is the one who gave it. And I'm amazed that he would even consider me to be a part. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he says, right? Verse 8: To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul is absolutely out of his mind with the reality that God would actually involve him in any of it altogether. I'm amazed that I'm even a part. And so Paul is just simply saying and reminding. Rehearsing his own joy and yet reminding the Ephesian believers, listen, if we mess this up, the only one we have to answer to is the owner of the, of the home. So woe unto me if I don't do what God gave me to do in the church. That's how we ought to think about our Christianity. Woe unto me if I'm not doing what God has given me by way of stewardship responsibility with the people of God in the church. And that means i got to be with the people of God. I got to interact with the people. I got to be around the people. I got to be encouraging the people. Is that how you think about your place in the church? If not, you need to. Because that's the only way we ought to think when it comes to the church. This isn't just something we check off on our block of duties during the week. This isn't something we just mark off on our calendar and say, okay, that's behind me now. I can go on to living my, the rest of my week out. No, it's all for the church. We live for the church. And when we say that, we know. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about each one, one another. All of us as the family, we live for that. Why? Because God created that and He gifted us by His grace to be involved in it. And so the reason that Paul is saying this is not only that they would not be overly burdened in their own hearts for their founding pastor as he's imprisoned, but also that they would understand that what God has done for them and with them is the same. He's going to get into this a little later. In fact, in verse 14, he begins to pray in that way. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Why? So that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. See, Paul is just saying, listen, this is what the outflow of my heart is, and I'm praying that God makes that the outflow of your heart. So contemplate it, beloved. Contemplate it right here, right now, tonight. Contemplate what God had done with you just to get you to the place that you're in the body of Christ. At one point in our lives, each one of us, we were outside of, as Paul says, the commonwealth of Israel. We were outside of the family of God. We were living as pagans. We were godless. We were actually... Actually, whether formally or not, we were actually worshiping any number of other gods. Worshiping materialism, worshiping narcissism, love of self, worshiping false religions, things that were not of God at all. Morally, morally, our life was at its lowest level. Doesn't matter how religious we might have thought we were or played we were, we were at our morally lowest level because we were without God. But look what God has done. Now, here we are. We are saints. Saints of a holy God, saints in the church. And we are worshiping God with the people of God. And for these Ephesian believers, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, this was Jew and Gentile together. The ethnic hatred would be gone. Unfathomable. In fact, Paul calls it the unfathomable riches of Christ that he was preaching. So that fact alone is astounding when you think about it. You just survey your own life, survey where you were before. It's incredible. The very understanding is essential to the whole walk of faith in the church. Understanding and realizing and remembering just who we were before God brought us into the family. If we neglect that, if we neglect what the Apostle Paul is saying here, then then we are only playing a game with our faith. If we neglect what the Apostle Paul is, is implying through his words here by way of application in our lives, then we are just playing with our faith and the church suffers for that. church isn't grown. We're told over and over again through, throughout the Scriptures that God planned and purposed our redemption. Planned it. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul back in chapter 1? This plan and purpose was carried out when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Before God ever exercised any of his creative power to make the very things we studied in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God had this in his mind, in his heart. I wonder how often we think of that reality. How often, how often are we in preparing for being with the family of God on a Saturday night, we are meditating on the reality of God's great master plan to save us. How often on the day before, the hours before we come and we are gathered and we worship with God's people are we thinking what it took for God to even save me and the privilege that it is to be in the family of God and to be given a grace by God that I have a stewardship over so that the church might be affected by it. Not only have we been made alive in Christ but we have been made alive so that we might participate through the ministry of the grace of God given to us in His church. We cannot rightly just sit at home and not participate in the church thinking that, hey, I'm doing what what I'm supposed to do when the people of God are together and I have a gift to minister in their midst. God had this great purpose of bringing all of us into one new body Why? So that the world would hear and the world would see the wisdom of God in salvation. Isn't this exactly what Paul is saying in chapter 4, verse 1? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Paul says, this is why I'm saying all this. Because of what God has done, because of who you are, because of the manifold grace of God upon you, just like in my own life that I'm reminding you about, because of that, I'm, I'm imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He says down in verse 5 and 6, We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't see any separation there. Then in verse 7 he says, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Why? Why were we given that? Verse 11 says, well he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together, notice by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see, you cannot check out. You cannot be somebody who just says, yeah, I, I attend the church, but I'm not really part of it. Paul says, this was the grace of God given to me for you. In other words, I was made a minister, Paul says. I was was made a proclaimer of the gospel. This stewardship was given to me by God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to you. It's all God's grace. I, I just don't think Paul ever stopped being amazed at that. I don't think he ever stopped being overwhelmingly amazed that God had saved him and brought him into this family. And so he labored tirelessly, tirelessly as a steward of what God's grace had given to him. The reason Paul was so energetic about his task, the reason Paul was so driven to do what God had called him to do, the reason Paul would would face shipwreck and beatings and and floggings and be chased out of towns and all kinds of things that went on in Paul's life is because Paul was overwhelmed at the reality that God had called him into this family at all. Nothing would stop Paul because he was always so amazed that God had saved him. I was thinking about this. Maybe that's where we where we've faltered in our own life ministry of the church maybe that's where some of us have really tripped up in our own christianity we've begun to think less about the church and its connection to our lives and we treat it as some kind of addendum some kind of auxiliary function to our life some kind of attachment that i do for one hour on one day from the weak. Why? Because I'm no longer amazed at what God has done to bring me into this family. No longer overwhelmingly shocked in my own mind because I have forgotten what it took for God to save me. And so instead of spending myself in the service for the family, I serve myself. I just serve me. Whatever I like. I've forgotten that once I was a slave of sin, but now I'm included in the eternal plan of God called the church. Beloved, we have to see the difficulty through which God went in order to bring us into his family. We have to see that. When we contemplate it, I dare say we will think differently about our place in the church. When we think about what it took for God to give us this stewardship of grace, we'll think differently about our place. And what was it that Paul was given? What was it that he was given? Well, he begins to tell us in verse 3. Verse 3 says that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. By revelation there was made known to me the mystery. That is simply to say that Paul didn't arrive at this understanding on his own. Paul says, this is not for me. He says, it was revealed to me. It was given to me. I've read this multiple times and I had to sit back and ask myself this question. Why would Paul need to say that to us? Why would the Apostle Paul need to say to these believers, and thereby to us, that that he received this by revelation? Well, partly, I believe, it's because it establishes the authority behind why he's telling us it. There is authority in it. This is the problem in our time, especially. We live in what I call an anti-authority age. An age where no one has authority over them, or at least they would like to think that. Everyone is their own authority. Everyone's word carries the same weight. It seems that anyone who makes any kind of declarative statement or authoritative statement or authoritative action is said to be personally arrogant. You declare anything that is an absolute that has authority behind it and you are either arrogant Or you must be some kind of police officer and we want to get rid of you anyway. But the Bible is absolute authority. Not because it's the Bible. The Bible itself has no inherent authority in and of itself. The Bible is authoritative because of the one who gave it to us. And this is what is on the mind of the Apostle Paul about the church he says this is what's on his mind between this whole reality of the unity between the Jew and the Gentile. He says, I didn't learn this mystery on my own. This reality that now the Jews and the Gentiles are one, specifically, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I didn't come to that on my own. This was given to me by way of revelation. And to me with the authority of God. I don't think we can state that too much. I don't think we can have that thought in our mind too often. All that we do is to be grounded in the Word of God. All that we can do is to have our lives and our actions grounded in the Word of God. Paul said to the Galatians, remember from our study of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, You can just turn over there for a minute, Galatians, I believe it's chapter 1. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, listen, my, my task, my authority, my position, all of that wasn't for men. It wasn't something I came up with. It wasn't something appointed to be my men. No, it came through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can do it. And he repeats that again down in verse 11 and 12, albeit with different words. He said, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I received, I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, that's simply to say that there is no teaching, there is no other teaching that we ought to listen to. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, I am amazed. You're so quickly departing or deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. which is really not another gospel, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be a curse. Paul says in verse 9, I say it again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Paul says, listen, I can't even change the gospel I preached to you. It came from my lips, but I can't change it. I have no authority to change that. Why? Because it came from God. It has the authority of God. So think about it. Just as much as the grace of God has brought you into the family of Christ, the grace of God has given you on your very laps the availability of the very words of God. Therefore, we cannot derive our living from any other source. We can't derive our teaching from any other source but the Word of God. We have to listen to the Word of God. We have to. And Then, when we listen to the Word of God, we have to live out the Word of God for the sake of the church. So Paul says, any authority in my words is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who made all this known to me. So what have we learned? What have we learned from all this? What do we gather from all of this? Well, I trust that we have a fresh view of the nature of our own salvation by the grace of God. I trust that. I trust that even in a nutshell time tonight, just in the few moments that we are looking at this, that you understand what it took for God to save you. That it wasn't just this easy thing, but it took God, the great grace of God, to move and and move all and orchestrate all the circumstances in which God uh, orchestrated in order to bring you to the place where He was drawing you to Himself. I pray that we understand and realize that God the Almighty would go to such a difficulty in saving a wretch like us. That You and I came to know the truth of the gospel we are children of God by the grace of God. What a perfect plan. It's all of grace. Nothing to do with any of us. Nothing to do with anything we decided to do. We did not become a Christian because we decided to. You can't decide to be a Christian and then in the next moment decide to go back living the way you want to. No, God saves us and shines His grace upon us and he equips us with a stewardship responsibility within the church. That's an amazing truth. In fact, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus who put me in the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant and with faith and love. Paul says, I'm just absolutely blown away at what God has done. God gave this to me. I didn't earn it, and I didn't ask for it. That makes it a point of serious responsibility, doesn't it? makes it a point of serious responsibility for each one of us who are part of the body of Christ. We have a stewardship trust. You can't just go, well, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to be used by God. Today, Lord, I know you have equipped me with your grace, but I'm just not going to do it today. Sorry, I'm checking out. It's my day off. Go get somebody else. God has given to each one of us a Stewardship. I've often thought, what would it be like if I didn't do what God had given me to do? I have a pastoring stewardship responsibility. He has given me words, words of the pages of Scripture in which I have a responsibility to care of for the people of God, to feed the people of God what God has said. It doesn't. It, it's not up to me to make it up and to make something up that makes us feel good. It's just up to me to say, here's what God says. That's the stewardship responsibility. But we all have a stewardship responsibility. At the very least, it is to hear and obey the Word of God. That means to be with the family of God, to build up others, and to be built up by the words of others through exhortation and encouragement. It's a stewardship. We are stewards in the church. God has committed unto us. God has given to us as a people, each one of us individually in our minds, in our hearts, our physical skills, our spiritual gifts. When we refuse or choose to neglect the exercise of that, we are neglecting those within the body. We have spiritual gifts and every Christian has them and their stewardship responsibility. Paul says, I have been given the stewardship of grace for you. We are to be that faithful person. Faithful in using that stewardship. so that the rest of the family of God are built up. We're not to be living in isolation, living by ourselves, outside, doing other things, leaving the family over there, and every now and then I'll be with them and exercise my gifts. No. So are you using your ministries? Are you fulfilling these things? This is our stewardship. That's why in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, Each one has received a gift. Employ it in serving one another, get this, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Can't get away from it. God graciously has gifted us, and He wants us to manage that gift properly for the benefit of the unity of the body. So Paul says, you've heard of this stewardship. I know you've heard of it. It's been given to me from God for your sakes, and it came by revelation. It has the authority of God in it. And Then he makes this statement. He says, God made known to me this mystery. And then he adds this little line. As I wrote before in brief. He said, what is that? What is that? As I wrote before in brief. He's referring back to chapter 1. Chapter 1. Particularly, I think, verses 9 through 12. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times. What is that? That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. He says, in him also we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. That's what he's referring to. He says, listen, what I've already told you, what I've already said to you, chapter 1, verses 9-12, through you understand that, and so when you read about what I say, you'll understand my knowledge into this mystery of God that have already told you about it. Comes from God. It's authoritative. The scriptures are authoritative. What they say, we do. Why? Because God has called us to himself. Because he's called us to himself, we have a stewardship responsibility within the body. So Paul says, think of the glory of God. Marvel at what God has provided for you because of His infinite wisdom, infinite love, infinite kindness, and what you have become because of that grace. And when you think about that and understand that, let that motivate you to serve His church for the sake of Christ and for the sake of His people. Be unified because you're just simply ministering your gifts to the people. Let that be your praise. Let that be the accolade that you hold to. Don't look for praise from the people. You're just doing what God has called you to do. Serve him. So that his name is honored. Why? Because verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church. Not to us, it's to him. That's our goal. That's that's what we strive for. Paul says, when you read this, verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you'll understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul says, I got to say this. I can't get past this. I have to say this. Before I can even tell you I'm praying for you, I have to say all of this so that you'll understand where you are, what you need to be, and why I'm praying this way for you and why I'm going to exhort you the way I need to. None of us would be able to fulfill what chapter 5 says without that in our hearts and minds because he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Our only response to that is that's impossible. That's impossible. Not if we're living as stewards not if we're doing what God has called us to do and equipped us to do. With that on our mind and our hearts, let's bow a word of prayer and just ask God to bless it. Father, we thank you for these words tonight. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ, for what we have through the working of your spirit in our hearts But it's easy for us to point our fingers at others and say, why aren't they doing that? Or why shouldn't they be doing that for me? Yet all you have said to us is, I've given you a stewardship, so you need to do it for the church. Help us to live that out in our lives for the strength of this body. Help us to to not look at others for our fulfillment, but look to you as we fulfill what you have called us to do for the sake of your body, for the sake of your glory, just thanking you that we are part of it. Well, what a privilege, what an honor. So bless all of us in that as we endeavor to serve you, be honored by it, and draw us together in unity for the sake of your name, we pray, amen.